0: Now today, we have a special treat. We get to hear from Melinda Jean-Louis, one of my favorite people, someone who's very special to me, and I think she has some powerful things to share with us. So please join me in welcoming Melinda. Good morning. I am really, really happy to be here with you all today, and I feel really grateful and honored, actually, but I'm also glad that you all decided to come here today because y'all could have been at the beach, yes, (laughs) and so, yeah, your presence is really important to me, and I just wanted to, before I even start with prayer, I wanted to just say that while I have never shared in this capacity here, I have shared bits and pieces of my story before, and the last time that I shared, I shared about straddling between fear and faith, and I feel like that's what I'm doing here today, and so I know when I say I'm worried, then that might make you worried, so I don't want to worry you, so um, So for us all to check in, I thought it could be helpful that I just shared a little suggestion that we could do throughout the next, like, 25, 30 minutes together. So whenever you feel like you're about to check out, I'm going to give you a suggestion. So start by checking to see where your feet are. I'm standing, you know, check to see where your feet are, check to see where your knees are, and where your hips are, where your shoulders are, and then where your head is at. And take a deep breath. And I promise I'll do the same. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, I just thank you that you're here with us. I just ask that your presence would just be kind to us all and meet us in the places that we need you today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So as a point of introduction, I'd like to start by sharing a little bit more about my story. So... For those of you who don't know, once again, my name is Melinda. I am single, never been married, and I have no children. I was born in the Midwest, which might come as a surprise to some of y'all, to two Haitian parents, Ernso and Gina. There's another picture of them with me. At three years old, my parents decided that they wanted to move back to Haiti, which is where we all come from, to raise their children. At the time, it was me and my sister and then later on my brother came along. I spent the majority of my developmental years in Haiti only coming to the states primarily for summer vacations. And then when I turned 18, I moved to Ithaca, New York to attend Cornell University, and then went back to Haiti for a year to work and then came back, and I've been living in New York City where I got my master's in mental health counseling. And then like a little bit after that, I found the river and have been here ever since. 2010-ish, 11, but so growing up in Haiti, I'd like to say in a word I would describe Haiti as incredible. (laughs) I spent my weeks being educated by Christian missionaries in a fairly ethnically diverse American school, and I spent the rest of my life being really immersed in the magical, super-emotional very spiritual Haitian culture that existed beyond those walls and I came to learn that what I'm called is a third culture kid So if you never haven't heard of what that is a third culture kid is a person who is raised in a culture other than their parents culture and so they essentially create a third culture from the two or more influences in their life And while I enjoyed all of this exposure to diversity of thought and experiences from all the people that were in my life, it often made me feel a little bit like the odd man out everywhere I went, especially when it came to the beginnings of my development as a person and then my faith in Jesus. And at the time that I had learned about this idea, the teachers told me and my classmates that that it was a way for us to understand ourselves you know growing up in Haiti but then having an American ed- education. However I wonder if anybody here in the melting pot that is New York City could potentially relate to that. I decided to follow Jesus at age seven <laughs> and yes I was young. I remember the day very clearly. I was in second grade and at my school, every week we had to attend chapel, since this is a Christian school, which is basically like attending church weekly. And evangelists had come to speak that day. And uh, I, was, I remember being really impressed with the love he was talking about, and I loved how easy and simple he made connecting with God appear. So that night, before I went to sleep, I, seven-year-old Melinda, had her very first memorable conversation with God I remember inviting Jesus into my heart and then somehow that would make Jesus into my life, like the man said. So I felt like I was a Christian now, like follower of Jesus. However, little did I know that in Haitian Christian culture, the way one becomes a Christian is a little different. So a few days later, I ran to tell my parents the good news. I'm a Christian and I knew they were Christians, so I felt like maybe they'd be excited that I had joined but their response was not what I expected. They said, what did you do? Hmm. Um, How did you pray? I think you need an adult to be there to make sure that you're really a Christian or maybe even to witness the event. (laughs) Here began my conflict my well-meaning parents and my American evangelists were at odds, and then me, an impressionable young girl in the middle with an experience that she believed was with God. I believed it was true, but now that experience was up for debate. This began a long road of self-doubt about whether or not my voice or my experience was good enough to be true. Did my life have a sure place in the story of God? And this uncertainty left me feeling very vulnerable to basically whatever anybody told me that I was or whoever I was. And I don't think if it wasn't for God that I probably wouldn't be able to stand here before you guys. And and I'm wondering if any of you all could relate to that, potentially feeling unsure about where you stand before God. To help us, I'd like to start with a story of a woman from the section of scriptures called the Old Testament. Her name is Hannah. She's mostly known for her role as the mother of a very famous prophet, Samuel. And I hope that her story along with my story will help us all see where there could be room for all of us in God's story. So I'm going to read from 1 Samuel 1, through 1-17 for us. There was a certain man from Ramathaim a Zufite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, and Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrificed to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Penina, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, Her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once, when they had finished eating and drinking at Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. Then the story goes on and Hannah is finally able to conceive a son with Elkanah, Samuel. She keeps her promise and gives Samuel back to to God via Eli, and Samuel eventually becomes a well-known prophet who anoints Israel's first two kings. Hannah's journey to the temple to pray that day feels a lot like it must have taken many, many years for her to get there. She had no children in a world where fertility most likely felt like the only thing of value that she had to offer. This led to years of her being vulnerable to provocations by her sister wife, Penina. And I believe she probably struggled with what some of us may call depression today. Depression in that she was experiencing deep emotional pain, maybe feeling hopeless about her future, her standing in her society, and maybe even in her marriage. And while this may not resonate for those of you who live here and we have, like, you know, all the food places and vending machines all over the place here. However, for me, growing up in Haiti where food is not, like, all over, like, every single corner. (laughs) And I also believe that's probably how it was in the Old Testament times. So when someone doesn't want to eat, it's usually a serious signal to the people in their community that they probably don't want to live. And before I spent some time studying and you know, meditating on this story, I didn't fully grasp how big of a deal it was for Hannah to actually take the steps that she did that day and ask God for a son. And then for God to hear and then answer her prayer, that must have been seen as revolutionary to the people at the time. Let me explain why. At this time in the story of the Bible's people of God, the Israelites, women were not supposed to be praying in public. According to rabbinic law, it was not Hannah's responsibility or even her business to go and make sure that she was able to obey the mandate that God gave the people that they believe God gave them in the creation stories in Genesis that they were supposed to multiply and fill the earth. It was the man's responsibility. And so the man could take another wife if he saw fit, or you know initiate divorce if his first wife was not able to have children. So Elkanah married Penina. This probably made, at least I imagine it made, Hannah feel betrayed, even though the story says that he loved her. But deeper than that, she probably felt betrayed by herself. Her own body's inability to produce children. So For Hannah to decide to pick herself up from the depths of despair and grief that she probably was in and essentially say, that's enough, I'm going to ask God for myself, that was probably unheard of for women at the time. Filled with the Holy Spirit, I believe she took those steps, those very difficult steps, challenging years of what everyone probably told her that she was and decided to go to the doorpost at God's house. And after all of that, Eli sees her and rushes to judgment. Hmm, must be drunk. (laughs) I believe he was only acting out of his role as arbiter or priest of the temple, but his capacity to see what the Holy Spirit was doing was limited because he didn't know the whole story. Little did Eli know that like a thousand years later in a small room on the day of Pentecost after the resurrected Jesus would leave the earth, there would be some people appearing drunk to the other people in the spaces around them. But Hannah did something that is incredible because she didn't let that judgment stop her. She just lets Eli know I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I was pouring my soul to the Lord. That was brave. I couldn't have done that. And in fact, in my life, every time I did, I was shut down. Hannah's journey to that moment at the doorpost of the Lord's house feels a lot like my journey to standing before you all here today. So, at this point in my life, I have spent an equal amount of time in both the United States and in Haiti. So that tells you how old I am. <laughs> in Haiti, my standing in God's house was often questionable. My voice, which tended to challenge the status quo of the communities of faith that I was a part of in both Christian school and Haitian church, tended to upset the people and was often seen as suspicious. (laughs) I was either dismissed for being too young to know God personally or what God uh, wanted for me, or the female body package that I came in would be deemed as a distraction to the faith of my fellow churchgoers. It became a fight for anyone to see what Holy Spirit was doing in me. But then moving to the States didn't do much to affirm my voice initially in communities of faith either. Christian organizations and groups that I would join when I started in college and then on were often very concerned about how I expressed myself as a woman. And they made concerted efforts to police everything about me, from my emotions to my body, and eventually my authority to speak, lead, or even tell men how to treat me. And given my tenuous sense of self, my third culture kid status trying to make way, straddling lines between things, trying to find a space for me, I felt lost never really seeing anyone break the chains and live to tell the tale so i gave up and i shut up these experiences brought up a lot of questions for me like could i ever really belong to god the systems of Haitian Christianity and mainstream American Christian culture tended to feel unsafe and unwilling to affirm a young woman's voice. I often felt challenged with, wait, wait, wait. What authority do you have? As a woman, the primary message that I usually received was that whatever pain or discomfort I experienced was usually my doing, usually 100% my fault, my responsibility. And these disapproving messages, unfortunately, fed into my own need for approval, creating this confusing, toxic environment of lies, which became the backdrop for an ingrained belief system about who I am and what kind of value I brought to the world. And when I reflect on this, I'm sad to say that I'm barely surprised that it led to horrific things in my life. So when a few teachers, an extended family member, and a pastor trusted, quote-unquote, and approved men and one woman betrayed me, initiating experiences of molestation, incest, and sexual abuse, It felt like the stage had already been set. The ongoing cyclical nature of it all just confirmed the worst things that I believed about myself and the things that were already spoken over me. Among them, the false belief that I am inherently bad and thus I bring out the worst in people. And unfortunately, initial really difficult attempts to disclose that abuse fell on deaf ears. The family members that I told believed I was sick or crazy running from me. And eventually, I did too. I ran from myself. For years, it became increasingly difficult for me to trust my own voice and even believe my experiences. (sighs) Okay. So while I've had breakthroughs before, thank God, grateful for those, um, (laughs) the most recent one was significant for me. About a year ago, I was sitting in a workshop at the River's annual retreat. I know we don't have one this year, but hopefully we'll have one again, okay. And at the retreat, we have many workshops, but last year we happened to have one on the divine feminine. I kinda went accidentally, not really planning on going since I had been doing a workshop myself earlier that day, so I was kinda gonna chill, but then, you know, I happened to wander in. And the facilitator had invited us to imagine Psalm 23, which is a famous psalm about God as a good shepherd, from the feminine perspective. She read the psalm, I closed my eyes, and for the first time in my life, I allowed myself to imagine God like a black woman. But not just any old black woman. Okay, I imagined a curvy, voluptuous, chocolate colored woman, probably in like the African desert somewhere with very little clothes on, shepherding her little children. One is clinging to her, maybe nursing. She's cooking over an open flame. The others are kind of running around her in the dirt. She's trying to wrangle them all together for dinner. I started to weep. In that moment, I felt like Holy Spirit whispered, I'm included in who God is. I couldn't believe it, but in my heart, that was exactly what I needed to hear. I knew I had struggled with depression, especially in my college years, but I never knew I was carrying around so much pain about who I was. Pain about being created a woman, black Haitian woman whose voice felt like it was never believable. But this encounter has taken me to places in myself that I have never ever allowed myself to go. God in my Haitian identity, God in my ancestors, God in my female body, in my intuition, my connection to the world, and in my story of abuse. And honestly, coming from my background, this all feels really risky. (laughs) But I'm trusting my own voice again, and I'm gonna believe who Holy Spirit says I am and nobody else. And when I feel worried that I'm doing it wrong, I'll trust God's grace and I can be confident. Both Hannah and I come from worlds that didn't initially respect or believe in us, and our perceived lack of worth and value allowed us to be harmed by people, the culture, faith communities that we were in. And while I don't know what my Samuel will be, but I'm grateful that God is helping reclaim all of me, helping me reconcile my relationship with myself and heal my identity in a way that my past would never, ever recognize. And so this is the journey that I've been on. And I have some practical suggestions for you if you'd be interested in a journey like that as well. I don't know if you would be. (laughs) My first suggestion is allow yourself moments where you can feel your pain. So as New Yorkers, I know it can often feel like if you were to allow yourself a moment of vulnerability to feel any type of pain, anger, frustration, annoyance that your whole world would come crashing down. And I understand. We live in New York, who has time to be sad? I did a little Google search. So, among all the states, I'm um, sorry, all the cities in the United States, New York City has the longest average commute of 1 hour. Compared to our friends in Ohio with 22 minutes round trip. <laughs> so I get it. However, I'd like to suggest that the more we allow ourselves to feel the aches, the pains, the things that bug us, maybe those pains could be a beacon of deeper transformation. Richard Rohr, a priest and uh, author, suggests in his book, The Universal Christ, love and suffering are God's primary tools of transformation. And I agree, but love is usually easier for all of us to get on board with. (laughs) suffering. Most of us just run the other way, me included, okay? So, but Hannah was in pain for many years before she made her way to the temple that day, and she probably saw Penina having babies, suffering in silence, the anguish eventually building up to the point that she could do nothing else but turn to God, defying all the rules and customs of the time. But we don't have to wait until we're desperate and about to break. We can have access to God right here, right now, anytime we want. No priest at the door to stop us. So my next suggestion is related to my first one. Consider allowing Holy Spirit to be your midwife. So, okay, I've never had children, never been pregnant, so I, I don't, I've never really had a midwife, Okay. But for those of you who don't know, a midwife is a healthcare professional who essentially partners with a woman through her um, pregnancy, labor, and then delivery. But for me and most of the non-moms and the men in the room, okay, another definition would be the facilitator of one of the most joyous, scary, and painful moments of life who helps bring new life out of pain. Holy Spirit was there with Hannah when she made her way to the temple in what Eli mistakenly called drunkenness. And I know I picked on Eli a lot today, but kudos to Eli though, cause after Hannah stood up for herself, he blessed her prayer. And I'm grateful for the people who over the last 13 years of my silence have taken a second look at me and blessed what God was doing. In me, some of them are here in this room today. But we all do it too. We often mistake what Holy Spirit is facilitating in the lives of the people in our communities. Because I know it's hard for us to trust that Holy Spirit can actually do that work. But I'd like to encourage all of you that she can because my life is proof of that. Holy Spirit helping piece together the parts of me that never felt like they belonged in the story of God has been one of the most surprising journeys I've found myself on so far in my life of faith. It's been full of gut-wrenching moments of shame, guilt, anger, and incredible loneliness. But it's challenged me to trust God's goodness in the face of my pain to create a new path for me. And lastly, my last suggestion is, if all of the other ones fail, please, my number third, is have hope. I'll say that again. Have hope. Be relentless about it. The first thing to go whenever whatever pain you're experiencing feels like it will never end is usually hope. So please, give yourself permission to imagine, dream, hope for something else. You could even set a reminder in your phone. You could say hope, if that helps. Unfortunately, I don't believe that faith gives us many guarantees of happily ever after on earth. Hannah didn't know that she would give birth to a man who would then change the course of Israel's history. I don't know where my story goes from here. But none of us do. What I know and what I think Hannah knew is that there is goodness out there goodness greater than any situation you may find yourself in i believe that's who i call god god who led the israelites out of egypt and who allowed my ancestors to survive the horrors of the transatlantic slave trade then go on to win the haitian revolution so that one day maybe 200 years later the world would meet me that god can always make a way. Thank you. Let me pray for y'all. Oh, y'all sweet, thanks. (sighs) Holy Spirit, thank you that you're here. Thank you that there is nothing that can get in the way of you being here with us. Thank you that we all belong Every single inch of us belongs. And I thank you for that reminder. Amen. Amen.